The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's lineup is Carter Worth, Brian Kelly, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami. It is the IPO aftermath. It's been a mixed bag for some of the largest public debuts as those stocks get off to the races. And the traders will tell you which IPOs are hot and which are not. Plus, Facebook, Twitter, Snap, all on deck for earnings this week. But legendary tech investor Roger McNamee says black swans are circling the social stocks. He'll be here to explain. But first, we start off with energy catching fire. The sector jumping 2% today, leaving the market as oil rises to a six-month high. President Trump looks to drive Iran's oil exports down by ending sanction waivers. And the group of stocks is now up a whopping 27% from December lows. So... Two-part question. Oh, Listen carefully. Ooh, Maybe take notes choice. if needed. Will energy help fuel the market rally? And at what point do rising oil prices become a headwind to the markets? Guy. I call a friend. <laughs> <laughs> you want a lifeline? Uh, could, the, could the energy market fuel the broader market rally? I would. My answer to that is no. I don't think so. I don't think so because I think oil is going up for the wrong reasons, not the right reasons. It's going up for geopolitical risk and maybe some for some supply issues. It's not going up for demand because the global economy is, is strengthening and doing well. So if that were the case, I'd say it could fuel the rest of the market. That's number one. Number two, at a certain point, it is problematic. I don't think we're there yet. I think you need crude oil closer to $80 than $65. That's when I would get concerned. But how to play it? I still think ExxonMobil's on the verge of breaking out of a four-year downtrend from the middle of 2015. A close above 85 in ExxonMobil, you're off to the races. And we mentioned this a few weeks ago. Phillips 66, PSX reports at the end of this month, ridiculously cheap valuation, tremendous earnings growth, and a levered play. I would be there as well. I guess, you know, people who are bullish the markets at this point will trot out the correlation, the historical correlation that 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 rising oil prices are typically good for equity prices. I mean, they usually correlate because it's an indicator that economic growth is, you know, but to guys, right to guys point bad reason. Right. This this is a supply driven. It's not a demand driven rally. And it's been a supply driven rally for most of the year. We've talked about oil for a while now that no matter what kind of bad news came out there, Oil just had a bid. It had a bid all the way up here. It's had a tremendous run. Now it looks like it's going to, you know, do one of these kind of tail end parabolics. I think eighty dollars is probably eighty dollars on WTI is probably the number where the market starts to get worried about it. If you're saying that, hey, listen, twenty thirty dollar oil was a tax cut for the consumer, this has to be a tax hike for the consumer. Well, that's so, right. It's not good for the. I mean, if if it starts moving into the eighty five ninety range, you're going to get big capex again, which is in principle good for the market, but it is not good for the consumer. And and and. And the sad reality for energy stocks is after a move like this in crude, they are still underperforming the market. And specifically the things that are cyclical like Schlumberger, Halliburton. Halliburton came out today, a terrible uh, result in terms of the price action. So if you look at the relative performance of OIH relative to XLE or the market, uh, there's an issue. And it uh, does not, it's also this, it's just too small now. If you're a growth manager, it's 1% of your benchmark. If you're tied to the Russell 1000 growth, that 
That doesn't so even work. if it's a good thing for the earnings of energy companies overall, it's still not going to have the same impact as it once did, just because the percent of energy in the S&P is much well, lower. Well, that's right. And we might have a chart here to look at that. It's, it's at its lowest uh, ratio as a percentage of the S&P as it was back in, in 2000. Cisco was worth more than any other company in the world, and energy was at 5%. And so are we going to have an epic buy as we did then? The problem is we just got price discovery from the Apache. Uh, the Anadarko deal, right? right? And that's down 50% from its all-time high. Why would they let themselves go at 50% off their former peak when they have Permian assets? Because it tells you this is like big steel, big oil, big oil coal. It's not ever going to come back. Yeah, you know, Carter, you mentioned the drillers. <clears throat> and while they've had a really nice bounce off of the December lows, they're still 35 40% right. from just their 52-week highs, 60% from their five-year all-time highs. And then, guys, cheap, levered, PSX, that thing can't get out of its own way. I mean, crude keeps going higher, and it's been right. stuck in this range. Fair. And it's massively underperformed the S&P, many of its peers, and crude. So, to me, I actually look at the... It's the large integrateds are, are doing all the heavy lifting here. So, and they just seem very correlated to oil. And I'll just make one other point. You know, the Dixie, the dollar index, has been in this range now for what feels like a year. And it feels like sooner or later it's about to break out. And when that happens, who the heck knows what's going to happen to oil here? So to me, this feels like a very precarious move. In my well, opinion. I think, I mean, the two threats for me to this market are a strong dollar and strong oil. And they can happen together. You don't have to have a weak dollar to have strong oil, particularly when strong oil's supply-driven or supply-cut driven. So I think the market at these levels, we're up 23% from the from the December lows. It's just it's a very it's a high wire act now with those two things happening. So the overall market reaction to this spike today in the price of oil wasn't too much. It wasn't such a severe reaction. I talked to John Kildoff. We happened to cross paths Mm, in in the hallway. In the hallway, and I four shows you did today (laughs) between the first two. Uh, But anyway, I asked him, you know, what are the chances that Iran closes the Strait of Hormuz? Because that would really be a meaningful spike in terms of the price of oil. He said, oh, you know, 0% right now, which is the good news, just because people would look at Iran and just withdraw all support. Any support that they might have from Europe would be gone if they did that. He said, but the greater risk would be is if Iran launched some sort of attack on one of our naval ships, in which case that's a 25 to 30% chance, and that would send oil prices to 100 like that. And what would happen to the broader market? To go back to the beginning question. That's not particularly bullish for equity markets, I wouldn't think. So, again, the reasons why crude oil is going higher to me, listen, the market's done extraordinarily well, but I wouldn't attribute it to energy strength or commodity strength uh, in in the aggregate. I think it's got a lot more to do with central banks being extraordinarily accommodative and completely going 180 since October. With that said, you know, Dan brings up a very fair point. I like to give credit when credit is due. I power pitched, you know, when you go over to the smart board. Yeah. The fast yep. pitch. Exactly. Uh-huh. And I went over there, I think it was probably in the fall, and I power pitched Valero. And Dan, it was 89, I think. And Dan basically laughed at me, as his is wont to do from time to time. At you or in general? Yeah. No, I, I think it was at me. But <laughs> okay. I mentioned it because, to his point, guess where Valero is right now? Basically still 90 bucks. So he's been spot on. These stocks haven't really moved all that much. They've had a nice bounce off the bottom. I just think they're... I think there's a blow off top to BK's point about the commodity. I think the same thing could happen in the equities. Yeah, but I, I do think now that we've kind of, if you look at something like XOP, it looks like it's broken out of the range. Yes, these things are still down from their all-time high. But if you get some kind of blow off here in oil, these things will catch a bid. So you can play it via XOP, or you can go way out on the risk spectrum and go something like RIG. That might be another way to play it. But are you surprised how little they've moved? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. So I mean, either, either that's the opportunity because they're about to, or they just 
can't. Right. Right. I mean, right. I mean the move, the play has been just buy oil, right? That has been the play. That's the easiest way to do it. But here we are now. What do you do? I think you can buy a breakout in some of these oil names. All right. Well, Carter says the energy rally is about to cool off, but there's still opportunity Ooh. in this space. Chartmaster, why don't you head over to the plasma and explain? Sure. Uh, well, I've got the same four-year thing that you were talking about, Guy, for Exxon. Uh, I think it actually fails there, but uh, we're going to end with KMI. But first... The, the facts, sort of a chart that just shows two lines uh, that's, that are going down. This is over the past um, seven, eight years. What we know, of course, is that the S&P is like this, way up here, up 100%. And what we've got is this circumstance here, which is, of course, energy dominated by the entire sector, two stocks, 40%, Chevron and Exxon. And then you've got this, which is where the beta is, largely Schlumberger and Halliburton. In any event... Um, what we know is if I did that same chart in reverse, which I've done is I've held the XLE constant to expose just how bad the relative performance of the cyclical area of the market is. That's OIH. I would want to see some stabilization in this to suggest, and that's a little bit like XOP, that there's going to be an, a risk-on appetite for energy, and it's not really happening. In terms of stocks that I do like. This is what maybe the most defensive of all, right? Um, KMI, it's the eighth largest stock in the, in the sector. It's the largest nat, nat gas network. You can see all the things I've written here. Largest independent transportator, largest uh, transporter of carbon dioxide, largest independent terminal operator, you know, 70,000 uh, miles of pipeline. And what I see is the following. We've got a nice double bottom. You'd have to say that. Now, the bear would say it's going to be a double top, but what I think it really is is that we've returned to the high, we've consolidated well, and then the setup here after not failing is to then go higher. I think that's quite good. And then finally, Exxon, <coughs> does this work or is it just going to be fail at the line, 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 and here we are at the line. Hmm. It's a down hours. Carter, come on back. Yeah. Bring him back. He's going to stay for the rest of the show, after all. <laughs> you know what I noticed? Because math is fun. You know, math is a fun thing. This is yes. 75% of options actions tonight, but it's 60% of fast. You see what I'm doing? Right. You're wow. doing like a Venn diagram. Yeah. Yeah. yeah with math. That is fun. That was uh, a great segment. Well, you know. Exxon right, reports you know Friday. What? Stop. Exxon reports Exxon Friday. reports, yes. And I do think they're going to break it. And Carter's right. It's been in a four-year downtrend. We talked about it at the top of the show. And statistically, it makes sense that it's going to fail once again. It's failed there for the last four years. I just think we're in an environment now where people might think it's going to break out through 85. I think you get the stock up to 90 bucks. Dan's pointing. So, Guy, you want a little math? Yeah. Math it out. Yeah. The At The Money Call, 83 call this week. Sorry, we, we got to interrupt. I believe uh, we have some breaking news. Uh, Yes, Elizabeth Holmes is leaving court right now in San Jose. The judge proposing July 8th as the start of the trial. Holmes's lawyer asked for a one-year extension but was denied. The founder and former CEO of Theranos has been charged by the SEC with fraud for her role misleading investors and doctors regarding the capabilities of Theranos' blood testing technology. Um, many of the counts involve wire fraud because effectively they're alleging that she used fraud in order to get investors to wire her money. And so uh, that that is a one sort of technical reason why that how they can actually convict her. Uh, jail time is a possibility for Elizabeth Holmes. 
But again, this uh, trial start date will be July 8th. And this is a kind of case that really turned Silicon Valley on its head. I mean, really made it look introspectively, Dan, right, at sort of the vetting process and, and how we vet and believe these founders. Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that this was a board that was absolutely stacked. I think people were vetting the board and the people around them, um, and there wasn't a lot of great work being done. But I think what's really important at this stage of the game, there was outright fraud at this point because they were sending out fraudulent uh, financials is what it sounds like. I know people are invested there, and that is the claim here. And I think a lot of people settled those initial cases when the SEC brought them, but the civil stuff is where they hope that she gets her due. And fraudulent data, right? That's where we're working. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But but to your point about Silicon Valley, I mean, there is there is something where people are just chasing after growth, right? We're a low-yield environment. You can blame the Fed, whoever you want to blame for that. But people were simply just chasing after this growth. And all of a sudden, it became, here's a company that all they're doing is growth. You see it very much from Silicon Valley. We see when these companies come public that all that matters is about growth. Everybody ignores the bottom line. And sometimes these are the things that happen when you get that expanding bubble like we've had in Silicon Valley. Yeah, there are a number of notable Silicon Valley investors invested in Theranos. I mean, uh, really, the, the, the blame doesn't lie at any one party's feet. The, the board of directors um, theoretically were aware of what was going on or maybe not aware of what was going on at the company, but many luminaries, including Henry Kissinger, uh, George Schultz. Um, Kovacevic was Dick. Dick Kovacevic. Well, he was about uh, the old Wells Fargo Yeah, Wells Fargo, excuse me. Um, and then in terms of major investors, Tim Draper comes to mind. Uh, and, and he was one of them as well. Yeah, and, and, you know, if you look at the kind of the life cycle of this company, it's possible in the beginning, you know, a lot of Silicon Valley is fake it till you make it, and this may be one of those situations where it was, wait, we didn't really reach our goals, but we just got to keep going on, and it, it's it, there's a very fine line. We'll find out in the court case exactly who's liable, but you have a lot of prominent investors that, that kind of, you almost have to take that leap of faith. Tim Draper talks about it a lot. You take that leap of faith on a team, on a product, and that sometimes they just don't work out. Uh, in case you're wondering, this is a live shot of the courthouse. We had been waiting Elizabeth Holmes to walk out here. It doesn't look like we're going to get it, but the news here is that the trial date had been set. The lawyers were seeking a one-year extension. At this point, though, it is set for July 8th. That should be a very interesting trial, uh, which we will be sure to cover. Uh, meantime, we're going to take a quick break here. Coming up, Tesla CEO Elon Musk speaking at the Electric Vehicle Makers Autonomy Investor Day. We'll bring you the very latest details next. Plus, some of the biggest IPOs of the year are off to the races, and the traders will tell you which names they think will have more room to run. And later, the social stocks on deck for earnings this week and legendary tech investor Roger McNamee has a warning for shareholders. He will be here to explain. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla unveiling the technology behind its self-driving car program at the company's Autonomy Day today. But those aren't the only headlines swirling around Elon Musk's company ahead of Wednesday's earnings report. The stock down nearly 4% today, closing basically at the lows of the session, uh, thanks in part to uh, a board shakeup and exploding Model, Model 3 reports in China. Our Phil LeBeau is in Chicago with more. Phil. 
And Melissa, Elon Musk saved his most interesting comments for the end of the session where he talked about Tesla having robo-taxis and putting them on the road by next year as part of uh, their uh, vision for the future when it comes to self-driving vehicles. A couple of things stand out as they were talking about this technology with analysts today. Uh, they are extremely confident that they are well ahead of the competition, way ahead of the competition, in fact, in terms of not only getting these vehicles out on the road, but developing an autonomous rideshare service starting next year. Here's Elon Musk talking about his vision for Tesla's self-driving Teslas. We expect to be feature complete in self-driving this year, um, and we expect uh, to be confident enough from our standpoint to say that we think people do not need to touch the wheel, look out of the window sometime probably around, I don't know, second quarter of next year. Um, and then we start to expect to get regulatory approval, at least in some jurisdictions, for that, that towards the end of next year. So we do it, we did it. We do the robo-taxi thing too. Only criticism, and it's a fair one, and sometimes I'm not on time. <laughs> but I get it done. I don't know if you caught the end of that. He says, but we did it. And I'm sure there are more than a few people who will say, no, you haven't done things on time. We'll talk about that in a bit. First, I want to talk about this picture. This is from a security camera in Shanghai on Sunday. It appears to show a Tesla Model S exploding as if the batteries catch on fire. Now, we should point out that this, this uh, fire, this explosion, whatever it is, has not been independently verified. Tesla is sending a team to investigate what has happened with this Model S. And I should also point out, Melissa, I ran this by a few people who I'm confident understand the battery industry very well. In fact, lithium-ion batteries and how they react. They found the video interesting, um, but they were not convinced that uh, everything is 100% accurate here. Doesn't mean that this was rigged, it just means that they have questions about the fire and the video. And remember, as you take a look at shares of Tesla, Melissa, the big numbers that everybody's looking forward to will come on Wednesday after the bell. That's when Tesla reports its first quarter earnings. And facts said, I love going in there and taking a look at how the analysts have brought down their expectations for the first quarter. It was at something like 90 cents per share profit for Q1. That was the expectation back in January. It's now down to an expectation of a loss of 99 cents. So it shows you how much analysts have brought down their estimates for the first quarter. And uh, Melissa, I love to leave you with a good quote. Elon Musk said that if you buy any car other than a Tesla in three years, it'll be financially insane. <clears throat> how insane? He said it'll be like buying a horse. Can't make it up. These, these are the quotes from Elon at the end of the press conference. He's, he's full of nuggets. That's, that's for sure, Phil. Um, you cover the self-driving, you cover all the different self-driving cars that are out there that are being developed yep. right now. And I think an interesting point that was raised actually by a very bullish analyst that, that we were speaking to earlier today, Phil, on Power Lunch, Joe Osha of JMP Security. He's got a 375 price target, so obviously bullish view in the stock, but made the point about investing in autonomous. And given the cash constraints at Tesla, could they possibly have invested the money necessary to actually develop what Elon Musk says is going to come out in the market so shortly? And, and that's where the skeptics are jumping in. I mean, the skeptics today, as he was doing this press conference, I mean, they're all over the place. They were immediately coming out and saying, 
I don't buy it. I don't think that they will have the technology, A, to have fully self-driving vehicles ready by next year, and B, to start a rideshare network that's going to get regulatory approval and start to make a difference in terms of moving the needle, Melissa. And you brought up a good point earlier today. Phil, I'm sorry to interrupt. Phil, sorry to interrupt. we got to go to Elizabeth Holmes. I understand she's walking out of the courthouse in San Jose right now. Remember, moments ago, we learned that the judge is proposing July 8th to start the trial. The lawyer had asked for a one-year extension but was denied. The founder and former CEO of Theranos has been charged by the SEC with fraud for a role misleading investors and doctors regarding the capabilities of Theranos' blood testing technology. But again, this is a live glimpse of Elizabeth Holmes as she walks out of that courtroom. Um, a disappointment uh, on the part of her legal team in terms of not getting that one-year extension and, and the trial uh, date being now July 8th, which just gives them a few more months here to prepare for this trial, which would be widely watched, of course, uh, everywhere from Wall Street to Silicon Valley. There are a lot of big name investors, Silicon Valley investors, who were defrauded along with a lot of other investors out there when it comes to believing Holmes and her claims that the blood testing technology was there, uh, worked. Um, So again, Elizabeth Holmes walking out of this courthouse in San Jose. You can see the cameras really following her around. We were speaking to uh, the author of Bad Blood, John Carreyou of the Wall Street Journal, who first broke um, the the fraud going on at Theranos. And and he was saying that uh, Elizabeth Holmes has been spotted out on the town around San Francisco. She's newly engaged. She walks around with her dog, uh, Balto, and she seems to have no qualms as to what is going on. Here she, though, has no comment for these cameras as they follow her out of that San Jose courtroom. Again, the trial date starts uh, July 8th. Um, Back to Tesla now. (laughs) Um, Phil was just wrapping up in terms of the skepticism. I mentioned going into Phil uh, that the stock closed basically at the session lows here. We also had a downgrade from Evercore to an underperform rating. They took the price target way down uh, and and also broke down the EPS estimates. I think for 2020, the EPS estimates were reduced by 40%. Yeah, and kudos to Tim Seymour, who's been steadfast in his belief that this stock is going to continue to go lower. I believe he's still short. I don't want to speak for him. But one of the things we have said is, given the amount of time it's breached support, 250 is now right in the crosshairs. Why 250? Well, that was basically the low from October 10th. We bounced off of that, and that seems where it wants, wants to go. How do you trade the stock? Personally, and, and CBW might disagree, I'd wait for earnings. You hope they just miss entirely, hope you have a flush in the stock, maybe have a huge volume day, and then try to play it for a bounce. But to do ahead of that, I think it's foolish. See, I'm on the, oh, go ahead, oh, CBW. The key levels. I mean, this thing has been in a range, right? 375, it stops every time at the high. This is the third or fourth time it hit uh, the low at 250. It looks as though this will be the time that it finally breaches the low. I think it's bad So action. sub 240. I think it breaks for the first time in three years, really substantially gives away from the range it's been in. It's I don't know. Call. I mean, the sentiment is so horrible on this right now. I mean, you've, you've, you've got So it. bad it's good, you so mean? So bad it's good, right. I mean, how much worse can it be if people are d- dropping it down to a sell? You've got negative earnings coming out. Nobody thinks they're going to be able to do anything. So to me, a lot of that is already in the stock. So risk-reward at these levels, maybe you do it with an option or something. I'd ask risk-reversal about that. I'm not going there right now. Come on. Not Fridays at 5.30. Oh, Here's oh, the thing. Right. There's two pieces of news I think are really important to focus on today. So here's Elon throwing out dates and timelines for some technology that's some whiz-bang sort of thing. Investors don't want to see that because right now we are conditioned to say, I'm going to take the over of whatever date that he says. And then he's kind of pressing up against these sort of deadlines. Investors have been inured. Yeah, but it's just not good. It's just not a good thing. The other thing I'll just say about the car fires, we should stop running the videos. I think there's like 150,000 car fires a year 
in the United States, okay? It is not fair, so I'm gonna go the opposite way now. It's not fair that we bring these up about every one that happens for Tesla because I think that's the sort of thing where Elon should be on Twitter saying, stop it. All right, for more on Tesla and what is next for this stock, head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee, you're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Ketchup is for winners, Ted. Staples are surging, but Kraft Heinz has been left in the dust, down nearly 50% from its 52-week high. But with a new CEO, could the stock be turning into the ultimate ketchup trade? Plus, Do you often experience social anxiety? And that's how Wall Street may be feeling ahead of Facebook, Snap, and Twitter earnings this week. But the traders tell you who they think could come out on top. There's much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pinterest, Zoom, Lyft, and Levi, some of the new kids on the block after their recent IPOs. But do they have the right stuff? Let's head down to the NYSE where Bob Pisani has the right stats. Bob, what's going on with these names? It's all turning up roses with one exception. As investors await details on Uber going public, the aftermarket performance of the most recent IPOs has been outstanding. Of course, the one exception. The IPO market really only opened up when Levi Strauss went public on March 21st. And since then, most have been winners and winners by a big margin. The two most recent, Pinterest and Zoom Video, they're up 28% and 72% respectively. Wait a minute, it's only been trading for two days. Those are amazing returns. IPOs that are only a, a few weeks older, Jumia, PagerDuty, Tufin Software, Levi Strauss, they're all up more than 40%. African e-commerce firm Jumia is the moonshot. No one predicted this one. Up 142% in just a week and a half. That's not a typo. The lone exception, you all know, it's Lyft, still down almost 20% from its $72 IPO price. What happened? Well, first you got a billion dollars in losses with $2 billion in revenue. That was an issue right from the beginning. And the pricing, 50% above its last round of funding, gave a lot of investors pause. But so far, Lyft is the outlier. And while that may put some pricing pressure on an Uber, Uber's got to be very happy with everything else. The timing couldn't be better for them. Not only are the markets in an upswing, the S&P 500 is less than 1% from its historic high. Four companies, by the way, Melissa, announced terms today. Digital game developer SciPlay, plant-based meat seller Beyond Meat, Organ transplant therapy firm Transmedics and biopharma firm Tevi Therapeutics will all likely begin trading next week. And by the way, the Renaissance Capital IPO ETF, this goes a little further back. It's a basket of about 60 of the most recent large IPOs. It's up 30% this year. It is one of the top performing ETFs in 2019. It doesn't get much better than this for the ETF market. 
Hmm. Uh, excuse me, the IPO market. Yeah. Melissa, back to you. Bob, thank you. Bob is on <coughs> the NYSE. So with all of these new stocks to talk about, we thought it'd be the perfect time to play a little game of... Trade it or fade it! That's right, trade it or fade it. One of America's favorite games. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'll just let that go. Stuff. Let's jump right in. Guy, trade it or fade what? it. Pinterest. Trade it, Melms. And... Ding, hit the ding, ding button. This has been priced at seemingly at a reasonable price. They have 60% revenue growth, 250 million users on their way to a billion probably over the next three to five years. Slow and steady wins the race. I'm not suggesting they're the next Facebook, but you know what? They might eat into Facebook's ad spend a little bit. So I think you can stay with Pinterest here. So I'm in the traded camp. Me what too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm with Guy. Listen, in a, in a market that people are looking for growth, you look at some of these names like this. I know it's up a lot, but they have a unique internet property here. Not, but there's a bit of a moat around their business, so I think you can trade it. Yeah, I would just say that you know we've been talking about a lot of these names over the last few weeks. You know, the stock priced at 19, <clears throat> it opened at 24, it's trading at 25. A few days later, I don't think you have to chase these sorts of things. I don't think there's any reason to go out and sell it right now either. All the reasons that you guys say it's a buy, I think makes sense. I'm not sure you have to buy it at 25 bucks. All right, next player of America's favorite game is Carter Braxton Worth. Zoom, <coughs> trade it or fade it, Carter? Well, let's see. So I'm a, I'm a fade it on fade this it. one. But here, here's the thing. I use GoToMeeting all day, all day, all day. And among other things, this is supposed to be a replacement for that. Uh, GoToMeeting does the job. This is uh, an issue where you've got so much euphoria on so many of these stocks. When you have this kind of issuance, it typically... There's a message, and the message is that people are trying to get their securities sold and go public because they want to get the money in their pocket. It's a very negative thing. This pop, well, I mean, do you think that, I mean, it's a software company, and so is there more of an appetite? I mean, is that I why think there's there is. such a massive I, I, I pop? do think so. I mean, so to Carter's point, the long run, you know, you generally don't want to be buying from the smart money, right? But you're in a stock market today where trading show, let's talk about trading it. Everybody in this market is looking for growth. So Zoom comes in as a growth company again. Maybe they take over some of GoToMeeting. There's a lot out there. So I think you trade this one. I'm not fading this All one. All right. Next player is Dan. Come on, Dan. Lyft is the stock. Trade it or fade it? So interestingly, Bob said this is the only black mark <clears throat> on this whole phase here. And obviously the stock's down about 15% from its pricing, down more from its highs. I think you trade it here, and I'll tell you why. They're going to report um, May 7th earnings, and all the banks um, are going to initiate on this thing in the next week or so. And I think you're going to probably get some favorable sort of comparisons to Uber. The last point I want to make is, Bob Pisani said about all of these issuance, this is a favorable time for Uber to come. Uber will be at twice the value of all these names that we're talking about put together. When Uber comes, it's going to be a very different market for all of these names, and that's one of the only reasons why I'd say be careful trading too many of Wait, these names Wait, are you right saying now. that once Uber comes to market, if we play the game of trade it or fade it again America's with these same names, game, right. the outcomes might be different? It might be Would very different because past performance does not indicate future. <laughs> you know, what's, what's, yeah. what's interesting to me, when this, when we were talking about Lyft yes. in last fall, and remember we talked uh-huh. about it in the yeah, price sure. indication I think they were at 60 to 64, right? I mean, that was sort of, I bring that up because stock is trading 61. If they had priced it at a different more point, more reasonably, it would be a different prism through look, which we look at the trading. Exactly. Now we could say, you know, this is actually traded quite well given the environment we find ourselves in here at $61. So maybe the fact that it was, in my opinion, I think yours this morning on Squawk, Squawk Box. Squawk and Friends, yeah. 
that it was that it was not priced properly. No, so see, I'm in the on. Dan. I, I know the, these guys the want to move on, but I want to say yeah, one do. thing. It was really important. Uh-huh. There was also there was holders of Lyft shorting it who could who were restricted. There was also holders of Uber that were shorting it. So I think what went on here is something that's very different than that was going on with all these other names. Oh, okay. yeah. interesting. Levi is the last name here. BK, trade or fade it? Yeah, uh, you know, like my jeans, I'm going to fade this one. I, I, I don't oh. like If you take a look at what happened to a lot of the specialty retailers today, they got absolutely crushed. I don't like this environment for the Levi's. It has not, it traded well, but it hasn't been able to get out of its own way. And today looked awful. So I am a fader of this. Well, these guys, first of all, were, did this once before, right? They went public in 1971, went mm-hmm. private in 85. Here they are back. But at least you can get your mind around that the rest of it is hopes and dreams. They have to grow. Otherwise, one's just spying in at the top. Coming up, Twitter, Snap, and Facebook all soaring this year as a gear up to report earnings. But tech investor Roger McNamee says there's a, quote, black swan circling the social space. He'll be here to explain. Plus, there's a rally in your cupboard as staple stocks soar to a new 52-week high. But there's one name in the space that could spoil the run. We'll tell you what it is when Fast Money returns. Some big social media names are reporting earnings in the next couple of days. Twitter, Snap, Facebook, all on deck, and the stocks have been surging this year. But our next guest says there's a potential black swan circling the entire industry. Let's bring in Roger McNamee, Elevation Partners co-founder and author of Zucked, Waking Up to the Facebook Catastrophe. Roger, great to have you back on Fast Money. Good to be here, Melissa. How are you? I'm great, thanks. You know, when you say black swan, you think of some sort of event that is not factored into the market at all right now. So what could that be? Well, I, th- I think we've just had an example of it. So over the weekend, Sri Lanka, you know, suffered a horrible series of terrorist bombings. And their response was to shut down Facebook and other platforms. And I think this is something that was foreshadowed by what, what happened in New Zealand, where there was a, another terrorist action where social media played a huge role in spreading the fear after the event. Mm -hmm. And I do think that the business model of platforms like Facebook and Google, particularly the YouTube side of Google, uh, have created a huge problem for them because they enable bad actors by amplifying signals that are hate speech driven and Mm -hmm. fear and outrage driven. And they do that because that's part and parcel of how they build their ad model. They have to expose people to difficult content to find out how they react to it to pierce the veil of, you know, civility, if you will. And in that context, the companies have a choice. They can either change their business model and no longer amplify that kind of content, or they're going to face the risk of countries shutting them down. And Sri Lanka doesn't mean anything to the numbers, but it's not crazy to imagine this happening in a place that does mean a lot to the numbers. What struck me also, Roger, about this was unlike New Zealand and unlike other instances where countries have shut down social media platforms, those shutdowns have typically happened after um, the attack and after it was found that either videos were circulated, as in the New Zealand attack, or that there is sort of, you know, insightful language being played up on on various. So so there's a clear threat here in Sri Lanka that the response was almost immediate. And it seemed like this could be a slippery slope where it was sort of a preemptive you know, let's prevent the spread of misinformation. Let's prevent the spread of, of photos that, that, you know, that stoke fear in the populace. Let's make sure that this doesn't happen and let's do it now as opposed to waiting for it to happen and being reactive. Well, in the case of Sri Lanka, they had a problem last year where they did have hate speech. It was a little bit like Myanmar where 
a religious minority was targeted with hate speech and people were killed. And the government had a brief shutdown that time as well. And so I believe that from their point of view, the, you know, two points make a line. They, they knew what to do immediately. And I believe other countries are going to look at this lesson. And the thing that the companies have not done, they've taken the position you can't regulate us. And I don't believe that's actually the correct analysis. I think that governments do have the option to hit a kill switch. And it's, in my mind, it's the logical thing for them to do in a situation where these com companies are really defying any kind of constructive feedback. So what exactly, Roger, in your view, is, is this black swan? Is it that governments can just decide to shut these platforms off? Is it more government regulation in order for these companies to, to monitor themselves better? I mean, what is that black swan? Well, I mean, Melissa, it could be any of the above, but the one I'd be really worried about is the shutdown model that just, if, if, if there is no way for these companies to moderate content, and I believe we can safely say that that is the correct analysis, then if you were to have some kind of attack in North America or Western Europe where companies like Facebook earn essentially all of their earnings, you could easily imagine countries taking a precautionary move of just shutting them down. Because from their point of view, what is the harm in doing that? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's obviously, a, from a risk-reward point of view, totally favorable to, to the politicians to do this. And I think if you see it in one country in Europe, it will spread rapidly across the EU. I think if it happens in the United States, the pressure on politicians to do something will be very, very intense. And I think the companies have no one to blame but themselves. They've tried to hide behind freedom of speech arguments when, in fact, the real problem is what we call, what my partner Rene Dresta calls, freedom of reach. That is their right to amplify hate speech and other mm -hmm. things because it's good for their business model. Roger, great to speak with you. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Melissa. Roger McNamee, Elevation Partners. Um, what are the areas of growth for Facebook in these social sites? Markets outside the United States, emerging markets? No, there, there, uh, is there is a, there's a positive black swan, if you will, when it comes to Facebook. They're talking about Facebook coin, and it's not necessarily a cryptocurrency, but it's a payment platform for them, which I don't think a lot of people have priced into the Facebook stock. So you look at how it traded today, it traded very well. If they get this up and running, and they can get revenue off of that as a payment rail, that could be something that people are not looking at here. Wait, wait, but how does that, how does that eliminate this sort of threat of of misinformation spreading on the platform. It doesn't. It doesn't, but it's a so, different revenue source. So I'm saying that's, okay. that's something that's not priced in. We're talking about black let, swans, let me, something we don't let, expect. Let, let, so let, let me tell you what is priced in. So here's a company that expected to grow in 2019, uh, 2019. Earnings are supposed to be flat year over year from 2018, while sales are expected to grow 24% to almost $70 billion. So if you think about what expectations are and why the stock has performed so well, is that the stock got creamed in 2018, expectations got creamed, and now we have a situation where it's pretty clear that consumers really don't care. Advertisers haven't left. Sales continue to grow. They've ramped expenses to the point where there's no growth this year, but that's likely to reaccelerate next year. The stock's cheap at 20 times. But how about in the markets where Facebook isn't as dominant or isn't as penetrated? So shut it down. It doesn't matter. ARPU in the U.S., average revenue per user, is so like 15x that of alone, If Facebook were U.S. alone, would it be a growth story still? Yeah, because they're going to continue to monetize. They're going to monetize um, a billion users on WhatsApp, a billion users on Instagram, and, and whatever other platforms they're building up. Do you like Facebook better than the S&P? 
Ooh, would you rather? Oh, Ooh. Carter, would you oh, rather, Dan? Well, I mean, I, 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 think, I think Facebook I'll, I'll has the potential <laughs> to fill in the gap yes. from last year yeah. and get back to those levels where I don't think that the S&P has the ability to go up 10% in a straight right. line. Facebook's not extended and overbought uh, S&P is. This is feeling a little OA-ish, isn't oh, yeah. it, with Carter well, and Dan I, I, back and recall, forth. I mentioned the OA-ness and, and of And by the way, show. it's time for options oh, action. Oh and we're going to talk about Snap, by far the best performing like social stock this year, up more than 100%. Some traders are betting the rally could disappear faster than its stories. So, Dan, why don't you head over to well, the plasma? Well, let's talk about this here a little bit, because this is one that's actually performed very well. It's up about 100% on the year. Today, call volume was one and a half times that of puts, and that's a day before they're going to report earnings tomorrow after the close, the implied move in the options market is about 15% in either direction. That is in comparison to the 20% on average the stock has moved over the last eight quarters since it went public in 2017. Um, there was one trade, and it was accumulation of a trade throughout the day of the April 26th weekly 11 puts. 9,000 of them traded on average about 64 cents. There were some big blocks that traded above the open interest there. So at first I thought maybe it was some closing activity, but it looked to be some opening buying, looking for some protection below about 10.35. Again, the stock has had some massive, massive moves um, on earnings. And we just have a couple key levels I think are worth looking at. This is that 100% move from the Christmas lows here. It's kind of stayed in this nice uptrend. It just kind of broke down through that channel. The momentum seems to be coming out a little bit. I want to make one really important point. Wall Street analysts hate this stock. There's only five buys, like 25 holds, and like five or six sells on it. Nobody likes it, despite the fact the stock's up 100%. That's the one-year chart. Let's just go to the five-year, or excuse me, since it's been public over the last couple of years. This is at a pretty key level here, right about 12 bucks or so. If you look at that, I should have cleared that here. But it's obviously been in this big downtrend. So the stock is hitting up against some long-term technical resistance right here. All right. Thanks for that, Dan. For more Options Action, check out the full show. Yes, we're back Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead, Kimberly Clark soaring today and pushing the staple sector to a new high. But there is one name in the group sitting out the rally. We'll tell you how, uh, if you can play catch-up, hint, hint. Plus, talk about a hot trade. Whirlpool, Whirlpool soaring after its earnings report now up nearly 40% this year. We'll break down the move when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Monday. The consumer staple sector jumping to a new 52-week high today as Kimberly Clark had its best day since October 2008. But Kraft Heinz is crumbling down about 45% over the past year as the company now taps into AB InBev, appointing a new CEO who has worked as chief marketing officer at the beer giant. So relish this. Oh. <laughs> Could Kraft Heinz be shaping up to be the ultimate ketchup trade? <sighs> Did we really do that? We did yeah. relish and ketchup in the same thing. Really. By the way, just for the right, I've never used relish as a word or on as a or condiment. On a really? Yeah. Like never on a hot dog? In my, no. What's, what's your really? go-to on a hot dog? A, a, piece, a slice of cheddar cheese split down the middle and mustard. What? With that said. I can't if, even. If, you got to bring your own cheese. You got to bring your <laughs> own go cheese, though. If, uh, my answer is no. Yeah, you could, you could make a bet that it's going to catch up or you're going to have a bounce, but the stock hasn't performed now in quite some time. What leads you to believe magically it's going to figure things out? As for Kimberly Clark, by the way, which you mentioned is at levels we haven't seen in quite some time, we're also bumping against levels that are basically an all-time high, 135 or so, at 18 times forward, 32 times trailing. I mean, this is not a cheap stock, and it's had a tremendous run, so I would be pulling the ripcord here. And all foreshadowed, of course, by the big proctor, right? The biggest weighting has been going straight up for the last year. Uh, I think there are others that are going to 
move like this on their earnings. Move like Kimberly, Kimberly Proctor, yeah. big big resets the upside. Yeah. Can you get behind Staples? Uh, no, because and it comes down to the dollar, right? I mean, again, these are these are stories that are going to get hit by a stronger dollar. If the dollar starts to rip higher, I don't want to be in these. Find yourself in a pickle. I, oh. Nice, BK. See, how I did that. That's a thinker. I still I can't get over the cheese and the mustard. No, you should really disgusting. think about it next time. Because you, know, you split dog. the hot dog down the middle, you put a piece of cheese. In we, New York, you have a hot sauce. You ever see what those people in Chicago do to a hot dog? Yeah. Oh, drag yeah. through the garden. Ugh. What? Drag through the garden. Check out Whirlpool. Soaring after its earnings report, the housing trade has been red hot this year. We'll tell you what is behind the move when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Whirlpool. The stock is surging after hours. Let's get to Kate Rogers in the newsroom for the details. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa. Whirlpool reporting a mixed first quarter this afternoon, a beat on EPS, but the company missing on revenues. Its sales for the quarter were also mixed. North American revenues, $2.5 billion. That's right in line. Asia revenues were a bit light, coming in at $371 million. That's below the $457 million projected. The company's CEO, Mark Bitzer, said two things drove earnings this quarter. Uh, first off, successful execution of price increases and sustained focus on cost discipline. He added that these factors give the company confidence it will be able to deliver on its full-year financial goals, which it also reaffirmed in its earnings release. Now, the conference call is going to take place tomorrow morning. Here are a few key things to watch out for. First off, the state of the U.S. consumer. The Association of Home Appliance Manufacturers has said that shipments of major appliances had been down in the U.S. in recent quarters. Also, any updates on the impact of tariffs on the company. And then finally, more color on Whirlpool's performance in China in particular. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Kate, thank you very much. Kate Rogers uh, in the newsroom. Brian Kelly, how do you trade this? Yeah, so China will be key for this, but tomorrow morning you're up 7%. My concern is that this is as good as it gets. So you look at some of the home starts numbers today, not that great. Look at how the home builders traded ITB. That didn't trade that well today. And so for me, I think if I'm going forward, why not take my up 7% in this market where you think things are going to be slow? I just think it's a much better thing. You take profits on this one first thing tomorrow. I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, you're going to get sort of re-rated here, uh, filling a gap, take your money and run. Yeah, price uh, increases and cost controls, though, give it some, you know, cushion. Wiggle room. Wiggle but quickly, room. so the first quarter, they beat by tw- 25 cents on the EPS line, right? They beat by 25 cents, yet they just reiterated full-year guidance. To me, that's actually, so you could say they're lowering guidance for the full year, given the first quarter. I would have raised guidance if they're really that kind of visibility. So I think this is a relief rally off evaluation that just got too cheap. All right. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Carter Braxton Worth. Hershey, a sleepy winner that can come to life. Interesting. Brian Kelly. Uh, well, I stick with the one that, or dance with the one that brought you. You stick with oil, XOP, I think you play that, play it that much. Dan Nathan. Yeah, back in early March, I pitched snap on the OA. It was nine and a half. I don't like it here at 11 and a half anymore in earnings, so the I would OA. avoid it. The, the OA. options actually oh, yeah. the weird yeah. series of Which Netflix. returns on um, Friday. Friday at 5.30. With Carter Worth. And it wasn't great to have Carter on the desk Fantastic. on a Monday. Fantastic. Super. We just yeah. gave him a meeting. Clap him out. Yeah. Final trade, please. PSX into earnings on April 30th, Melissa. All right, that does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.